Hi, this is Scott Thompson. Welcome to the Scott Thompson Show podcast. Thanks for listening. Tell your friends. Feel free to subscribe. Coming up on today's show, should we be approving more companies to produce life-saving COVID-19 vaccination? The Prime Minister has said that Pfizer is on schedule to deliver vaccinations for September and for the end of March. However, we are finding out now those shipments in March will be reduced as well. Many are still asking why the Prime Minister spent time in working on a vaccination with China instead of lining up for Pfizer's and Moderna's vaccine. It's all coming up on the Scott Thompson Show podcast. Today on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. I'm Curtis Thompson, Scott's son. I was doing an online presentation to my class this morning and my dad walks right in my room. Sheesh! But if you're hosting a radio show, the house must remain silent. Somebody isn't listening to their own rules. Hey! It's the Scott Thompson Home Show. Here's Scott Thompson! We're going to have to have a word with him about calling his dad out on the air. Uh, good afternoon. It is 1210. It is 900. Shh. It is 900 CHML. I'm Scott Thompson. Will Erskine back at the station keeping the Scott Thompson Home Show on the air. Jump into the conversation. We would love to hear from you. Feel free. You can uh, send us a note via the website, Scott Thompson at 900CHML.com. The phone lines are always open. All right. We've been talking a lot about vaccination as a result of uh, the, the supply and the fact that none has come in this week and very uh, little is going to come in uh, next week. Uh, lots of chatter about how we got to this place. Uh, many talking about the Can Sino deal where uh, the government had put its faith in a Chinese company to help with the vaccination, and uh, obviously that fell through. Uh, there's lots of reports of other private companies that uh, have uh, offered their help. Uh, at the beginning of all of this in March and April, uh, they weren't really given uh, uh, much lip service at all, let alone help. Uh, and it was at, uh, shortly after that in August that uh, in fact, uh, government started lining up for uh, to purchase doses from this wide portfolio that the prime minister continually talks about. So uh, again, many have asked uh, what those contracts uh, contracts consist of. Uh, obviously, you can't get that kind of information; it's private through a company. But that being said, uh, were doses or sorry, were licenses uh, drawn up so you could manufacture this or, or produce it in some way to help out uh, relieve the the pressure of the shortage that we're feeling? And obviously, a Canadian company last night or yesterday, uh, and again, we had the CEO on uh, saying that, uh, you know, we'd love to be able to do this. We have the capability, but we're behind simply because we haven't had the support. Now, that being said, uh, we've got a report coming out now where uh, a French drug maker will give Pfizer access to a production facility in Frankfurt, which will start to deliver doses this summer. Uh, the deal will produce more than 125 million doses of the messenger RNA vaccine, and that will be for the European Union. To talk more about all of this, Sam Fazelli is with us, analyst at Bloomberg Intelligence, and is with us now. Sam, thank you for the time. I hope you're doing well. Yeah, thank you. Very well. Thank you very much. Yes. So can you shed some light on this deal and, and what is happening here, and, uh, and how did we get to this point? Yeah, I mean, in terms of uh, the, the um, uh, problems that Canada's facing, I've just been listening to everything you've said, it, it really is not alone. 
Uh, I'm sure you've seen the U.S. has had some issues, and I'm sure everybody has watched the um, um, acrimonious uh, goings-on between um, the European Union and AstraZeneca and some finger-pointing going in different directions. So everyone's scrambling for vaccines, and, and unfortunately, given that none of these companies had done manufacturing at this scale of, frankly, anything, um, that they're, they're having hiccups and issues and problems, and, um, and that, that's what we're facing. So what we've got here is Sanofi stepping in after they've had a, a setback with their own vaccine, which was not an mRNA vaccine. Um, and and uh, coming into the putting up you know into the good fight in terms of getting the um, manufacturing making its manufacturing capability available to um, to Pfizer uh, and and getting that going. I'm pretty sure there was there's been some pressure from the European Union to get a another major pharmaceutical company within the block to manufacture. I'm sure the French will be very happy to hear this. Xanafi being a French uh, company mostly. So I, I'm, I'm convinced that there's a, a little bit of political pressure on them too. How important is it, uh, as you mentioned, you know, Pfizer, Moderna, the, the, the two big, uh, two big uh, producers at this point, but the production, or the, the problem is production. We just can't produce enough of this stuff fast enough. How important is it to get these products licensed so we can ease the shortage in production and can put more facilities online to produce this stuff? the nightmare that we're living in and and one great solution to that and we're seeing excellent data coming out of israel where they're showing vaccine effectiveness at 95 percent in the real world or 90 percent or 92 percent whatever the number is um looking really positive you usually lose a bit of efficacy when you go from clinical trials where everything is perfect to when you go into the community and suddenly all kinds of things happen um, so that's great news. We we all want that basically, and and you know they're at at forty seven percent vaccinations. About thirty percent of their population have had two doses now. So that's uh, sorry, nineteen percent have had two doses now. Thirty percent have had their first dose. So this is these are um, you know that's everybody wants to get to that point, and 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 seeing the effect that it's having, um, of course, is is the is. It's critical for us to be able to not to have to deal with lockdowns another six, nine months. That's why we all have to get going on this. How difficult was it for a deal like this to happen? You said there was political pressure. Is this not good for Pfizer as well? No, of course it is. And, and please remember my, my comment about political pressure is that that was, conge- that was my, my um, uh, estimate mm-hmm. or my view as opposed to knowing anything. And I, right. but, I, but I suspect that there was a lot of, um, perhaps not pressure, but a lot of uh, 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 kind um, re- requests of saying, can you, can you do something, please? Um, yeah, it's good for Pfizer, too, of course, yes, because that means that they get another manufacturing unit up in, um, in getting the product uh, into people's arms. And um, Sanofi, um, I, you know, looks great in getting involved. But don't forget, these things are never a straight line. AstraZeneca's out there giving a vaccine away for nothing, basically, at cost, and not being a vaccine company. And look at the hot, how, how tough it is for them and how, what kind of a storm they've entered. And, and I, I didn't think, I'm sure they didn't expect to be having to deal with this kind of stuff, but it happens. 
Elaborate a little bit more on AstraZeneca and what the issue is in Europe with them right now. Sure. It seems to, to be that the manufacturing sites in Europe, uh, in, within the bloc, let's put it that way, the European Union, are having trouble getting the level of uh, production that they, um, that they had hoped for. So that obviously impacts the dose. Um, when you speak to them, try and find out why can't they just simply transfer the manufacturing capability that they have within the UK, which seems to be doing okay, into the block, into EU, into those manufacturing facilities. Um, and that is, it's a lot easier said than done. And that seems to be that I, I'm pretty sure they've even tried that and it doesn't solve the problem. So no company wants to ever end up in a situation where they say they don't have enough um, uh, capacity or enough supply to be able to, to fulfill the uh, requirements that have been given. But it seems to be that that's where they've ended up, and then, and then the politics have got involved in it. Uh, obviously, we're hearing uh, here that, uh, you know, of the situation in the European Union and uh, there was chatter. Uh, our prime minister called it musings that there would be some restrictions on exports of these products out of the European Union. Can you shed any light on that? Well, I, there isn't really much more to say except for the headlines that you see coming across your variety of news sources, um, obviously I look at the Bloomberg terminal uh, constantly, um, that there seems to be that these are not necessarily for restrictions, but more for knowing what's happening. Now, I don't quite understand that, but, but at the end of the day, the European Union has to understand, and anybody who's manufacturing has to understand, that no one country owns all of the pieces of the puzzle. There are parts of this vaccine for um, Pfizer-BioNTech, for example, that have to come out of the UK, and they go over somewhere else to be uh, assembled. So it's similar to the supply chain for anything engineered. There are more than one countries where, where things are sourced out of. So it should be anybody who wants to think about export limits and controls has to think about the repercussions that it will that will have for them if they end up in that kind of ugly situation, which I'm sure they will not. Where do you see the EU in terms of uh, vaccinations getting uh, uh, it, it into people's arms over the next couple of months? Where, where do you predict the EU will be? Yeah, so obviously that depends on the supply of vaccine. But if you look at the current pace, um, not very far, frankly. You know, I think within the month that we've had um, since the vaccines were approved, um, the, the, on average, the countries that are around 2% of their population vaccinated. Obviously, it's much higher percentage of the at-risk people because that's what they're focused on. But, but uh, you know, I mean, you're not going to get very far in another two months. Um, I'm convinced that that, that um, trajectory will change, but clearly that depends on many things, um, supply, uh, the logistics of, of getting vaccines to people, and then getting people to go and get their vaccines. So a lot of variables there. So will we see more deals like the one you're speaking of with here uh, with Sanofi and, and, and more production facilities come online? This obviously seems the way to go. Uh, we're, you know, we've seen our shipments here in Canada come to a stop this week because of, of the, refurb- uh, the refurbing that's going on at the, uh, at the Belgium plant. Uh, are you anticipating that more companies like this will jump into the production phase of this? 
Well, I mean, already there's a lot of um, uh, there are there are quite a few contract manufacturers involved in in, in the production of uh, the vaccines. Lanza being one of them, Catalans being another one. So th- th- this is and, and you know, um, Emergent Biosolutions, another one in the U.S. These are not um, this is not nothing new. What's interesting about this, of course, is that they are contract manufacturers. That is their job. Whereas Sanofi. Is, a, is, is not in the business of manufacturing product for other people. So they're doing this um, to solve a problem for, for the European Union. Uh, and, and I suspect it's possible if the right technology exists in, in Canada, you can't just assemble it overnight, obviously, um, that they can do a similar thing. Um, but I don't know the answer to that. And I suspect if it was possible, I think it will happen. We need a lot of doses of vaccines. Because we're only talking about European Union, Canada, US, UK. What about the rest of the world? That's where vaccine equity is kind of being forgotten as we're all fighting amongst ourselves for doses of vaccine. Uh, here in Canada this week, Pfizer, uh, no shipments coming from Pfizer for the vaccine. Next week for Canada, it's a very limited supply of, uh, of Pfizer that is coming in. And again, this was attributed to the changes in the manufacturing facility uh, in Belgium. Is the European Union seeing those same slowdowns or have they picked up? No, no, they, they, they're suffering exactly the same because that's the similar um Manufacturing site that's that's submit uh, that's uh, providing sure. some of their supply as well. So uh, everybody's in the same boat. Should uh, you know this is uh, obviously a brand new pandemic, and and many have described this as building the plane as we're trying to fly it. Uh, that being said, should we have seen the production and manufacturing issues coming? Should we have done more to make sure uh, other people are, are on board to help meet this demand? Well, so yes, to a degree, but I think I think people did as much as they could possibly have done. You you you're not going to manufacture hundreds of millions constantly, and then suddenly find uh, that and, and have found beforehand they did what they could right beforehand that actually when you get up to a billion then you have a problem. So I, I think th- this is not a surprise to me because of the scale of what we're trying to do here. Um, God forbid we end up with quality issues in batches or something goes wrong along mm. with, you know, so they make, I don't know, 10 million doses and it all has to be put in the, in the trash. Um, but I, I would say that, that sometimes some of it could be because some of the countries or regions just didn't get their act together fast enough. So if you think about, for example, the AstraZeneca manufacturing in the UK, it is from Oxford University at the end of the day. They have been doing this with other companies such as Oxford Biomedica for a while, manufacturing these adenoviruses. So it's not surprising that that because they've had some of the expertise and experience in place, that they have honed the the manufacturing system there. And then when the European Union comes in and does a deal with them months after Astra started doing clinical trials and years after uh, Oxford uh, University has been doing this work with Oxford Biomedica, etc., and that they hit some issues because they're just ramping up. So that could be part of the problem um, when you transfer this technology. We know that it happens with standard drugs. You, you're doing perfectly fine. You move to another uh, facility somewhere else, and suddenly everything breaks down. Um, and let's not forget, just a month ago, Johnson & Johnson warned that their manufacturing for the U.S. Is go- or the, do- the doses for the U.S. will be a couple of months delayed. 
So this yeah. is not a single company's problem. This is a, a problem of exactly what you said, building the plane as we're trying to fly it. Sam Fazelli has been with his analyst at Bloomberg Intelligence talking about Sanofi and their deal with Pfizer to add to production of, uh, obviously, the very much sought-after COVID-19 vaccination. Sam, thank you so much for the time and insight. Much appreciated. Be well. Thank you. You too. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. Uh, let's talk about COVID-19 and where we are right now. Uh, let's bring in Dr. Ahmad Khalid, health policy graduate, Queen's Elizabeth Scholar, and Mackin is with us now. Uh, Ahmad, thank you so much for the time. I hope you're doing well. Thank you, Scott. Thanks for having me. Uh, some uh, a news story that is just breaking, and uh, I'll, I'll read a portion of it to you now. Canada receives hundreds of thousands of fewer doses of the Pfizer vaccine than previously anticipated. Uh, government, uh, the government had promised that Canada would receive four million doses of Pfizer by the end of March. Uh, sources from multiple premiers' offices tell Global News uh, it's now expected to be only about three and a half million doses. One of the sources saying that Alberta, for example, its total shipment in the first quarter of this year will be 13% less than what is uh, it was expected. Certainly, obviously, we know of the reduction uh, that we're seeing for next week and no shipments this week as a result to the retooling that's going on uh, in the Pfizer plant in Belgium. Uh, but we were reassured that uh, the contracts would be honored and and, and we'd have the doses to finish the vaccine by the vaccination by September, and uh, and that we would have these doses and and start mass vaccination uh, in March. Your thoughts uh, on where we are and where we're finding ourselves today? I mean, it's it's a bit upsetting to all of us involved because I think we were hoping that the vaccine shipments will will go back on track by at least March. I mean, that was the promise, Scott. The promise was that even though there's a delay that we knew about uh, that they will pick up the shipments come March. This news indicates that that's not going to be the case, that the goal of achieving uh, everybody who's wishing to get a vaccine by September 2021 is most likely unrealistic. And now we're looking at mid-2022 before there is mass uh, vaccination of the population. That is expected because of the the change in in the factory in Belgium. However, I mean, I will say this, that you know, there's been conflicting news with the EU putting a, a very strict measures on Pfizer in Belgium to make sure that any vaccine that is produced by the factory is uh, primarily going to its EU partners. And so that's the EU countries. Um, I think this is where we're going to see politics planned. I don't think there's been very clear indication on why is it that Canada is at the end of the bo- bottom of the list of, of countries that will continue its agreed upon uh, deals with Pfizer. That's a question that we're going to look for for answers from the federal government, but also from Pfizer as to whether it will continue to honor its deal in place. Uh, we just uh, had an interview with uh, someone from Bloomberg and talking about uh, a deal in the European Union uh, with a company by the name of Sanofi who were, I guess, working on their own vaccination and had little success with that, but are now uh, going to produce millions of doses of the Pfizer vaccine. Is that the solution here? And it appears to be, doctor, that, you know, obviously there's so many plants that can pump this stuff out, but if we can license these to other uh, facilities that are capable of doing so, uh, it certainly will help uh, reduce the the production woes that we have. But that being said, it's not like you're making donuts here, is it? Exactly. You're not. It's a very intricate process that needs to be safe. I mean, we can never jeopardize the safety of those vaccines. Because I mean, I, I don't need to tell people this, but you know, the minute there's a report about any safety concern with any of those vaccines, 
my God, yeah. do we have our work cut out for us? There's already a massive vaccine hesitancy to begin with. And so Pfizer, I think, and Moderna understand that like the world is watching them with a magnifying glass, making sure there's not massive side effects from those vaccines. And so when we talk about distribution or getting other people to produce the vaccine, that raises a lot of questions. Are they going to adhere to the same guidelines that Pfizer and Moderna has adhered to? And also, more importantly for us Canadians, Canada has approved the vaccinations by Pfizer and Moderna so far, according to very strict measures in place and, and details that we're not privy to about how they're producing the vaccine. Now, when you talk about another supplier who's willing to you know, possibly produce the Pfizer vaccine, will Canada approve that shipment from that supplier? That's mm. a question that we need to find out over time. Yeah, again, uh, <laughs> the, the more options there is, the more complicated it becomes. Uh, but obviously, doctor, production of this vaccine is going to be a big issue for quite a while, because here we are talking about Europe and Canada or the United States or whatever, but there's still an awful lot of the world that needs to be vaccinated that are way behind us. Yes, and that's a question we've been asked a lot, you know, by the public. And that is, you know, vaccines, like I said earlier, are intricate and they require a lot of ingredients. Think of it as a, I want to simplify it and bring the example you bought of donuts. When you're trying to make a donut, it's not as simple as putting flour in a mixer and putting some, I've never made donuts, but I imagine it not to be as simple as just flour and water. There are many different ingredients that go into it and steps. And that's where the delay is. The delay comes in the supplies that are required to make the vaccine what it is. Uh, and so, you know, you can't just have anybody do it. There has to be agreements already with companies like Pfizer and Moderna with the supply producers who are providing the ingredients to make the vaccine. Uh, having said that, I think that we never in the history of mankind has had this, uh, you know, strong ask for a vaccine to be produced in a remarkably short time frame for the, the entire population of the world. That is going to cause delays. I mean, you know, is it shocking that we're seeing that countries, Canada's not alone in this, who promised that they're going to have max vaccinations uh, as soon as possible did not uh, achieve that promise? No, it's not surprising. I think anybody could have said, anticipated that to happen, that, you know, putting all hopes and assurance on companies to be able to produce things in a timely frame, that doesn't happen. When you go order a car, do you ever get your car at the time they tell you you're going to get it? There's often hmm. always delays. So I don't know why we expect that with vaccines that are being developed with such high intricacy that they will happen that fast with such demand on them. We talked uh, long before uh, the situation arose regarding shortages about the second dose. As the, these vaccines started to arrive, and we saw different provinces do this differently, uh, and some decided they were not going to keep the second dose back in in a ref- in, in a refrigerator or freezer, and that was the big uh, that was the big discussion point. We don't want them in freezers when they should be in people's arms. Uh, and, and rather than holding back, as Pfizer and, and Health Canada had said, uh, 21 days and administer, make sure those people get that uh, second dose administered. They just wanted to get it into as many arms as possible in order to to try to stop the spread. Just assuming those second those other doses would arrive now of course uh we know of the, the the shortage this week there's nothing coming in this week and a, and a greatly reduced uh amount next week and then of course this this other uh shortage that just came out today about another half million doses that will not be arriving by march how does that change the discussion regarding the second dose because again we all feared this would happen you start getting rid of it all and what happens if if the pipeline is shut off 
Well, I mean, the good news, Scott, is that so far in Ontario, we've been able to vaccinate 317 doses have been administered, uh, which is a great news. I mean, I think when we look back at time, did we expect that by January we will be even having a vaccine that's being administered? No. And the fact that we are and that the government is aggressively trying to secure more doses, I mean, there is so much pressure on the federal government now by the provinces who are saying, you know, we can't be administering both. The Ontario just announced that it's going to stop vaccinating long-term care centers. That's a disaster. I mean, long-term care centers, uh, facilities, is where the most deaths to COVID-19 has happened in Canada. They need to be a priority and they need to be vaccinated immediately. They should be the focus of every vaccination effort that's undergoing in the country right now. We cannot neglect the tragedies and the disasters that are happening in long-term care home centers. And so, you know, when, when provinces are threatening to hold back vaccines, because simply some of them are saying that we don't have enough, uh, that is going to put massive pressure on the federal government to figure out a way forward. One solution that's being proposed, which I'm not sure is going to get a lot of traction, is for Canada to negotiate with the U.S., to see if Pfizer in Michigan, which is the other facility that's been mm. producing the vaccine, would consider uh, giving some to the Canada. Now, that's very unlikely because it's been very clear from the get-go that any Pfizer production facility in the U.S. will remain uh, the, the vaccine in the U.S. But with the new administration in place, strong relationship between Trudeau and Biden administration could yield uh, some positive resu- results. Uh, there's also some chatter earlier on in the week, uh, Ahmad, in regard to how many doses you could suck out of a vial of vaccine. I guess traditionally it's five. Now Pfizer's saying that you can get six, and that might include, uh, uh, or that could be included uh, in the total. What are your thoughts on that discussion over five or six doses per vial? I'm not an expert when it comes to that knowledge base. I mean, I will say that from from a policy perspective, I think this is where it becomes a little bit confusing for the general public to figure out wh- how is that relevant to them. And what's relevant to them, I think if you speak to you know anybody out there, what we're trying to figure out is we understand there's a shortage of the vaccine. We understand there are different ways of like when to administer the vaccine, possibly different, you know, which we're talking about earlier. However, how is that relevant to me? And what's relevant to us, to general Canadians out there, is that the plans for aggressive vaccinations are happening. When we're going to get it won't probably happen uh, unless you're immunocompromised of the older age, probably for another year. And the point I'm trying to make here, Scott, is that I think it's very important now that we engage in discussions around what is our expectations out of this. You know, we're going to hear so much in the next few days and weeks and months about when vaccines are going to be given, uh, who's going to get them first, doses, First one versus second. How is that relevant to us? What's relevant to us is that we must continue to practice things that have worked the past year. Uh, people who, I mean, if you speak to individuals who continue to practice safe hand hygiene, social distance whenever possible, uh, you know, maintain to work from home if possible, all those measures have actually worked the majority of Canadians. And that's something we're not talking about. For a lot of people who actually practice the interventions being put in place, they've been, for the most part, safe. And so if we continue to do that until we get the vaccine, if you wish to take it, then your risk of contracting COVID-19 will actually be very low. And this way you don't have to worry about the mess of news about the vaccine and different news about it. 
Um, that being said, modeling going to be uh, unveiled later today by the provincial government. Uh, we have seen, although there is a, uh, uh, a trend upward today, uh, the last three days we have seen below 2,000 new cases uh, in Ontario uh, today, they've dipped. Uh, they've jumped back up above, uh, slightly above two thousand. Um, your thoughts on any modeling? I mean, obviously this is a crystal ball kind of thing, but but what are your thoughts? Uh, and we talked uh, again before the holiday about uh, how there would be a surge, and there certainly was. Uh, obviously, the post-holiday surge is 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 now dying down. Will that be reflected in this modeling? Yeah, I think so. I think that's the expectation is that we're going to hear positive news about. Uh, that the measures that we've been put into place have actually been uh, yield dividends that we're seeing the results, positive results from the lockdowns that are happening. Uh, I suspect that there is pressure on the Ontario government now to, to, you know, reopen things slowly in the next coming weeks. I think the modeling data today is part of that longer term plan of when that will happen. How do you see March break fitting into this, Ahmad? Because, again, we've all predicted this. We've seen this through every long holiday weekend since this started uh, 47 weeks, 46 weeks ago. Uh, and, again, very much predicted over Christmas. We certainly saw that. How concerned are you about uh, March break? Uh, Quebec getting it a bit earlier. Obviously, the university kids will be out in uh, the, latter, or the middle of the latter part of February. What are your thoughts about uh, spring break? My first thought, Scott, is that I could remember that you and I were talking about this as if it was yesterday. We were literally having this conversation about March yeah. 6th last year. And to think that we're having this conversation a year down, how fast time flies. To answer your question, I think that we're going to see a similar conversation. I think that we're going to see the Prime Minister Trudeau make another very firm announcement to say, anybody who has travel plans, please cancel them. Because I think what we've learned from this Christmas break is that taking the, uh, you know, the safe approach of not trying to put into place strict measures and strict, uh, strict announcements did not work. Uh, you know, we have to be clear, we have to be consistent, so we have to be firm. And given how the vaccine situation is happening with the delays, I suspect that we're going to see very early February, very strong announcements by both federal and provincial governments telling people, stop traveling. And I will just make a comment on that, Scott that I, we are getting reports of the, the federal government is getting to a point now where it, they're quite tired of supporting Canadians who decide to travel during a pandemic. Mm. Uh, I think that that's going to increase. I've, I've never seen like that before. I mean, I've been watching the news, listening very carefully to press releases, and you can tell the tone on people traveling outside of Canada and within Canada for leisure purposes, non-essential, is causing a raised eyebrows now across all government levels. We certainly remember uh, officials saying, the Prime Minister saying that, you know, air travel is not a concern because there, there's so little spread there. It's usually spread through community uh, contact and such. Yet that being said, it appears all of these new variants arrived through uh, air travel. Uh, is this just something that has to be done now? In, in terms of the lockdowns? Uh, in, in, in terms of travel restrictions and, and who's coming in and out. Yes, I mean, there is a very strong emphasis now for the government to figure out quickly whether they need to put travel restrictions in place. However, the strains, what we're learning is that some of those strains we already have in Canada. It's a bit too little too late. Um, And so Mm. it's a matter of figuring out which strains do we have, which strains we're trying to prevent from coming in, and do we really not entirely have them? I mean, blocking international borders would have worked when the first case of Wuhan was discovered. 
I'm not sure at this point we're really going to be able to prevent this massive influx of foreign strains into our communities because I suspect that a lot of those strains might already be a carrier. So really, uh, as excited we were uh, around the holidays that vaccines were arriving on our shores, uh, we're going we're gonna to be hunkered down for a few more months, aren't we? I'm still optimistic, and I still think it's positive news. Maybe it's the, 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 maybe I'm naive in this, but I try to focus on the positivity, which is the fact that we're engaging in a conversation about when we're getting the vaccine. This time last year, we didn't even know that a vaccine was going to be available this fast. Mm. So that's a huge, Scott. I mean, we can't undermine the fact that we, we there are, you know, 1.1% of Ontario so far has been fully vaccinated. That's huge news. And so hopefully the trend is upwards. The pressure on the government to secure more deals will happen. Uh, we will be able to get uh, maybe other Johnson 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 vaccine that might be approved in February. There are alternatives. There is hope for us at the mo- at the moment. We need to continue the course. Let's end this on, uh, on an optimist <laughs> note, Ahmad. Uh, it's a sunny day. It's a beautiful day today. Lots of snow. Lots of people getting out there doing winter activities if they can. Um, what about as we move into the spring, the longer days, uh, more people getting out? Will we naturally see, no, no matter what we're doing, will we naturally see a decline as we get outside and less indoor activity? Yes, I think so. I think we look at last year. We have examples now. We don't need to speak out metaphorically. We have the example of last year. We saw that spring and summer season, for the most part, was actually pleasant. And by what I mean by that is that we were able to go outside. We were able to go for yeah. nice walks and have, you know, small group gathering. I remember at one point it was five, then it was 10, then it was 50. And so, you know, I suspect we might have a similar spring, summer season. Uh, and maybe if the vaccines do pick up by March, April, we actually might be looking a lot better than last year, too. So all that to say is that, you know, hope is still there. Dr. Ahmad Khalid is with us, health policy expert. Uh, Doctor, as always, thank you so much for the time and ending off on a positive note. Uh, Be well, and thanks so much for the time. Same to you, Scott. Thanks for having me. Here's today's daily commentary. The independent consulting firm that was hired by the Office of the Privy Council to finally look into the years of abuse in the Governor General's office tabled its report yesterday. In that report, many employees of Rideau Hall, past and present, told their stories of alleged yelling, screaming, aggressive conduct, demeaning comments, and public humiliations. Forty-three participants described the general work environment as hostile, negative, or other words to that effect. Within that description, everything from a reign of terror to several employees either leaving or having to take sick leave to cope. None of this is proven. However, Julie Payette's quick resignation, lack of an explanation, plus Justin Trudeau's actions in asking her to step down, Speak volumes. And will she care after receiving the many perks of holding such a position despite being fired before her term even ended? What does that say about the privileged prime minister who appointed her without even considering her past behavior, which has been widely documented? I'm Scott Thompson. 
You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. All right. um, Lots of chatter in regard to uh, vaccinations and such. Uh, Obviously, uh, we're just finding out information that broke uh, just before noon. The federal government is confident it will be getting 4 million doses of the vaccine from Pfizer by the end of March, as the company's promised. But Major General Danny Fortin says part of that has to do with how many doses are in each vial. Pfizer is... Uh, doing is using a different uh, calculation that we that my team is currently using. He says the document the government has shared with the provinces that says we're only getting three and a half million doses is a soft number. Is a conservative figure of five doses per vial until it changes. Fortan says Health Canada is working out how to get six doses from each vial consistently, and if it can, then Canada will change its calculations as well. Dave Woodard, Global News. So obviously um, not good news as we move forward and try to secure enough vaccination to uh, to have Canadians vaccinated, hopefully uh, by the end of uh, by the end of September. All right. You might remember last week we had Diane Francis on editor at large for the Financial Post and uh, a fascinating article uh, that she had written in regard to the CanSino deal, uh, the Chinese company that uh, the prime minister spent a lot of time uh, working on uh, to try to get a deal to produce a uh, a China solution, a Chinese Canadian solution and get a vaccine. Uh, as the story goes, uh, obviously, we, uh, we, we we did this deal. Let me read you the first couple of uh, lines of Diane's uh, article entitled Canada deserves answers about the botched roll-up how much taxpayer money has been squandered on this failed vaccine uh, and Diane writes the more we learn about Canada's vaccine rollout the more it becomes clear that the public inquiry uh, that a public inquiry into the liberal government's botched handling of the file is needed last week Diane wrote about a rumor circulating within the pharmaceutical industry that Canada's vaccine crisis was caused by a decision on the part of the Prime Minister to delay deals with American companies and instead rely on China, an unscrupulous sworn enemy of Canada. When Trudeau asked for the vaccination to be delivered so Canada could start testing it, as the story goes, Chinese officials demanded that the Huawei executive, who had been held in Vancouver on an extradition request from the United States, be released first. Uh, man, we've talked about this deal before, but it seems to be this uh, article that has thrown this back into uh, the limelight and why we waited until August to start doing these deals and and even some uh, scuttlebutt from Canadian companies that said, you know, we could have easily been on board and, and, and helped out as well. Uh, let's bring in Diane Francis. Canada des- Canadians deserve answers about a botched vaccine rollout from the Financial Post. She is with us now. Diane, thank you for the time. I hope you're doing well. I'm doing well. Why has it taken so long for this story to get traction? Because we've known about this uh, for a while, yet it, it, it doesn't seem, uh, to, until your article, to get a lot of attention uh, in the media. And, and following that, why would the Prime Minister do a deal with China? Well, I think that, uh, you know, it, it really started because uh, some very high-level members of the scientific and pharmaceutical industry community got in touch with me and told me that the buzz in the business was that uh, China had, that the prime minister had, you know, put all his eggs into the China basket, which was crazy anyway, because they have a terrible reputation in terms of pharmaceuticals and vaccines. Uh, and, And of course, they're a sworn enemy of Canada's. Uh, but but more importantly, he not only did that, but when the test vials were to be delivered in the summer, 
um, they're saying that the Chinese government intervened and said, let uh, let the woman in Vancouver who's waiting extradition to the U.S. free, and we'll give you the test files. So in other words, it was an extortion attempt. Now, that's the rumor. I can't prove it. It's secondhand. But this is the scuttlebutt. And furthermore, in the article I did on Tuesday, there are more questions being raised that have come my way and that I've found that I've been sent uh, articles in medical journals and so on. And, you know, among them is the fact that a deal was signed. I mean, it may not be a matter of this kind of political strong arming. It may just be a bad deal. It's one or the other. A bad deal in as much as it, it seems that they signed a deal with the Chinese uh, to give away the intellectual property of a, a cell line that we had, which ended up being their vaccine, um, that was developed in Canada. And we, we gave them the cell line, and they can use it. And uh, now that they've turned it into a vaccine, they don't have to pay us anything for it. In other words, they did a really dumb deal. Uh, and, and, and how could this be? I mean, how could the National Research Council uh, and the Canadian government, uh, through the, the Science and Innovations Minister, Navdeep Baines, who not surprisingly was bounced from the cabinet a month ago without explanation, uh, and the foreign minister, who is demoted, and the prime minister sign a deal, well, we give them their intellectual property, but we never will get any benefit from what they do with it? I mean, who does such a thing with an enemy anyway? So these are the questions. I don't know the answers. So it's either a stupid deal or it's it's a, it's a, a, a deal that went awry because uh, China stabbed us in the back and, and we should never have done in the first place. And again, what you know? Why would China do that? I mean, what what are the reasons for China doing that? Other than obviously the poor relationships between Canada and China right now, it, it doesn't make sense to have done that. Well, they have weaponized uh, their their medical and vaccine trade all over the world. So this wouldn't be the first time that they did a deal, sucked somebody into a deal, took the intellectual property, and then stabbed them in the back based on politics. Uh, they're giving away vaccines right now, which are probably not very good, and, and, and PPEs to medical personnel to poor countries in Africa in return for their votes on the UN or whatever it is. Mm. And so they're playing this game. This is They're ruthless. They're a rogue state, and they're not to be trusted. And we never, ever should have been sharing uh, research, information, personnel, and there's lots of evidence of that that's now falling into my lap, which I'll be writing about in the future, uh, with, with such a country. And so the result is that Canadians are way down in the queue in terms of getting Pfizer and Moderna vaccines. Um, you know, I mean, it's, it's just, it's quite, it's quite unbelievable. Would the Prime and Minister's... Another reason, another reason I wanted to add is it's really interesting... I don't want to make any any allegation or anything that, you know, I wrote the story. Everybody's mad about it. You wouldn't believe it's gone viral. I've gotten lots of comments. People are talking about this, but the headlines are being dominated because that's when they decided to get rid of the GG. Interesting timing. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. Knock it um, right off the headlines. 
would the and again we're only speculating at this time but would the prime minister in doing this deal with can with can sino would he was he trying to think or did he think that perhaps this was trying to help the relationship with china that this would perhaps help with the release of the two michaels uh and again from what i understand about this vaccine it isn't that good anyway uh are we trusting the wrong level of science here well the chinese are not trustworthy we know this we, we know this now. So, so you don't do a deal with someone you know is not trustworthy. Secondly, everybody in the pharma business and the scientific community knows that their vaccines are bad. They're not good. So why would you sign a deal with an untrustworthy uh, uh, entity who does lousy stuff? I mean, it's beyond me. It's beyond me. It's such poor judgment. You have to wonder if there's something else involved, and uh, and you know, and to put Canadian lives on the line uh, with such poor judgment is, is pretty unforgivable. So I think we need an inquiry. We really do. I think I might have asked you this before, Diane, but we've certainly seen a change in tone of the Prime Minister over the last several weeks, months. Is it due to being slapped with this Cansino deal the way that he had? I mean, how can you keep begging for something from somebody when they keep knocking you down this way? What what change in tone? All I do is, I, all I see is a guy coming out with a beard who talks slowly and makes promises he can't keep and hasn't been forthcoming when questions like this are raised. And, you know, has, has nicely finessed a lot of his his staying power by uh, not allowing uh, um, and and weathered scandals. I mean, the we scandal, and it's just they're piling up uh, by uh, not allowing Parliament to to uh, to meet. Are you are you confident we will ever know the details of of how this all came about and this deal with Cansino? Oh yes, we will. Absolutely, there are too many people that know things. And uh, people are connecting dots, and they will do so. And I hope the opposition is beavering away on this. Uh, you know, Aaron O'Toole certainly understands the measure of China. He's been the one that's sort of, you know, out of the fact that the Chinese are the way they are. I mean, a military background. This is very deeply rooted in, in military stuff. I think our, our national security people, our intelligence people know a lot more. They can't say anything. You know, there was a big scandal at a uh, vaccine clinic in Winnipeg uh, where, you know, some people that were affiliated with China were, were you know, marched out of the laboratory. And, and all these things are swirling around. Uh, this is really, this is really, I think, going to be his biggest scandal yet. We remember way back when, when... When the prime minister dropped the bombs uh, and said, you know, by the way, we're not going to get this with everybody else because we don't make the stuff anymore. Uh, we simply don't have the capacity to do that. Uh, since then, there's been a, a couple of companies that have come out and said, you know, we do have the capacity to do this. We just need the support. We just need the help. And we had heard that a lot of that had fallen on deaf ears. Do we have the capacity to do this here? Of course, we have the capacity to do this. We could have put a pop-up vaccine manufacturing uh, facility, maybe, you know, a subsidiary of Pfizer or Moderna or whatever. We could have done that in no time. This is, we're a first world country with great skill sets. We know how to manufacture. We can do it. We have engineering. We have science. And in fact, you know, the, 
the, the Chinese vaccine right now is based on scientific research paid for by Canadian taxpayers. I, I think it's quite shameful. Um, are we doing enough to make it conducive for these businesses uh, to operate in Canada? You, you know, uh, many have said there was a story coming out where Pfizer wanted some tax breaks and what have you, and, you know, big bad companies, so on and so forth. Uh, are we doing enough? And again, I'm reminding everybody, it's not governments that produce vaccines, it's private companies. But are we doing it enough? Many point back to, uh, you know, conservative days when, when they deregulated all of this and so on and so forth. Uh, but are we doing enough to make it uh, f- feasible for these companies to operate in Canada? Are we making it too difficult for them to set up shop here? No, not at all. We already do. That's bogus. That's a bogus story. They want to do what they can. They, they throw money around like crazy out of Ottawa. Let's face it, sometimes too much so. And if they were able to get uh, ventilators made very quickly. No, this is this is that's that's some kind of story planted by people, maybe in the Liberal government who want to just change the subject. We could have had a factory here. We could be building a factory right now, uh, which would take care of us. And by the way, until we sold two major vaccine companies 20 years ago, we were one of the world's leaders in vaccine manufacturing and pharma. And we have huge pharmaceutical facilities in Mississauga and Montreal. There's no question we could do it. Where do you think this conversation is going? How is this going to play out? Uh, especially now when we're hearing uh, the Prime Minister keeps coming back to the size of our portfolio. By the end of September, we'll all be vaccinated. And all these deliveries will be on schedule by the end of March. So that's when the max, uh, mass vaccinations uh, will start. We're now hearing a story that's come out that uh, even that delivery in March will be cut down to 3.5 million doses, I believe, from from 4 million doses. So where is this going between now and the summer? Well, I think the press is going to cover the fact that uh, the Biden administration is going to hop to it and start to vaccinate people in the tens of millions uh, every week. And when we find out that our, our friends and our cousins and our, and our uh, business partners south of the border, where they're usually much less organized and have a worse health care system, are vaccinated and we're not, I think it hits the fan. Any chance that you brought up the U.S. and certainly lots of chatter about the the Pfizer plant in Kalamazoo, uh, Michigan. Do you think with Biden in control now that there's any chance that Canada could see some of that slip across the border and help us out during these times? Well, I think that, you know, it's it's I don't want to say it's every man for himself, but they've got a much more uh, serious COVID problem in Canada because they don't have a public health system worth spit. Uh, people are running around without masks. People are fighting lawsuits against masks. I mean, it's nuts. So they have, I think, uh, it looks like in terms of fatalities, 10 times per capita the rate of deaths from COVID south of the border. So they have a, they have an, a more acute issue and problem than Canada, which has been pretty dead. The provinces have done a terrific job. The feds have failed, but the provinces have done a good job. So, you know, are they, would, they, would they gear up and add, a, add an extra, you know, train on the, on the, in the factory, of course. Uh, but, you know, where is Ottawa in all of this? Why isn't this being explored? It's just, it's just shocking. 
Uh, we've heard many say, well, you know, this is happening all over the world. Uh, the vaccines are in short supply and everybody's scrambling. You know, the uh, uh, Christy Freeland said it was the Wild West at, at one point. So uh, is everyone in the same boat? And we've just got to wait our turn. This is what to be. This is what to be. Or this is what we can expect. No, not everybody's in the same boat. The Israelis have vaccinated just about everybody. Diane Francis is with us, and the column is Canadians Deserve Answers about botched vaccine rollout from the Financial Post. Diane, thank you so much for the time. Be well. You're welcome. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on 900 CHML. This is the Scott Thompson Podcast, available on Apple Podcast and Google Podcast or wherever you get yours. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review so you don't miss a thing. I'm Scott Thompson, and thanks for listening.